preaching through the book of Matthew this summer, and we've come to chapter 9, and the title of today's message is The Disciple Maker. And we're talking about Jesus, but ultimately he calls us to be disciples, and so in turn we become disciple makers. This is so important, discipleship, being a disciple. Last week I talked about the authority of Christ, and I want to start there this morning. So let me define discipleship. The best definition I came up with this past week was a quote from John Piper that said, People need to become Christians. And people need to be taught how to think and feel and act like a Christian. That is a disciple. So you become a disciple when you come to faith in Christ and somebody walks alongside of you for a little while teaching you what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The reason this is personal is because that didn't happen to me early on. When I was 12 years old in Macon, Georgia, I professed faith in Christ. And it was legitimate. It was real. I was baptized in the church. And I stood out front, and I remember adults came by and shook my hand and said, that's the most important decision you'll ever make. And I agree with that. The decision to follow Christ is the most important decision you'll ever make. But nobody told me anything after that. It was a few years later before we had a youth minister that came and started teaching us what it meant to follow Christ. Just simple things like how to read the Bible, where to start reading the Bible. If you're a brand-new believer and you say, well, I got a Bible, I guess I'll start in Genesis may not be the best place for you to start. Maybe John, the Gospel of John is a better place to start. And so I learned in my middle teenage years what it meant to follow Christ and to be a follower of Christ. So we're going to look at a couple of passages this morning. One ends chapter 9 and another one's in chapter 10 because Jesus is going to basically make the statement of the point of why we need to be disciples. And then he's going to teach us what the meaning of discipleship is. So let me get my Bible open to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus was going throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus, in chapter 4, we saw Jesus is going about in all the cities around the Sea of Galilee, teaching, but more than that, healing people, healing every kind of disease and sickness, and even casting out demons. We see, then we get to the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's kind of a parenthesis where Jesus does some incredible teaching. Then he picks back up in chapter 8 with more healing, casting out demons. And so he sees the people, and the word for people here is literally the word throng. He sees the crowd. By this point, there are thousands of people that are following Christ just to watch what he's going to do. Not all of them were following him in faith. Some of them were just there for the show. Some of them were there to cause problems. The scribes and Pharisees. Jesus talked about your righteousness. It has to surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. Why is that? Because all they had was a heavy dose of religion. And Jesus is going to teach us about what it means to have a relationship with a Savior and follow him as Lord and Savior. So he's going throughout all the cities and villages, but his message is going further than he goes. Word spreading. As people travel, they're saying, hey, you've got you to gotta go hear this Jesus over around the Sea of Galilee. Spent a lot of time around Capernaum and the Mount of Beatitudes and that whole area around the Sea of Galilee. He would sail across the sea. One side was more Gentile. The other side was more Jewish. And he, he was going to both of them. He was even teaching in their synagogues. And he's teaching meant he would unroll the scrolls and teach them from the Old Testament. And what he was teaching them is about the, about the Messiah that was to come. Jesus has prophesied over 300 times in the Old Testament that a Savior's coming, a Messiah's coming. It would be Christ the Lord. And so he's teaching them that. 
Then he does more than that. He proclaims. That's preaching. That's the herald, the gospel, the good news. So Jesus is not only healing people of physical maladies and illnesses and diseases, things like leprosy and paralysis and fevers. He's casting out demons. But more than that, he's telling them the truth of the gospel. The word gospel means good message or good news. Remember the angels, when they appeared to the shepherds on the hillside, they said, don't be afraid. You're going to see that word used several times in the passage we were looking at this morning. Don't be afraid. Why do they have to tell them don't be afraid? Because if you're half asleep with one eye open and all of a sudden the glory of God shines upon you, these angels up in the sky, you're going to be afraid. So they said, don't be afraid. We've come with good news. We had not come here to kill you. had not come here to give you bad news. We've come here to give you good news. And the good news is Jesus has been born. The Messiah is here. Something to get excited about. The Savior has arrived. And so Jesus is that Savior. He has arrived. He's preaching the message of the gospel. He's preaching the New Testament to them. Hadn't been written yet, but what he's preaching is going to be recorded in the pages of the New Testament. And so Jesus is not only proclaiming in the synagogues the Old Testament and showing the fulfillment of it, but he's preaching the New Testament right before their very eyes. And he's about to make a transition. Up to this point, the disciples have been observers. They've watched Jesus. They've heard Jesus. But Jesus has done all the ministry. He's done all the healing. He's done all the teaching. And the disciples, some of them are just being called. Matthew is finally called into the discipleship himself. So he's now got 12 followers that are following him around. And here's what Jesus sees. He sees the multitude and he feels compassion. I want you to understand what the word compassion means. Literally, if you go to a Bible dictionary and look up the word compassion, it's going to say things like bowels and intestines. Why is that? Because they weren't real good on their physiology. Nowadays, we think more of feeling comes from the heart. They thought it came from the very depths of the being, and I think it's a better description. So Jesus is moved to the very core of his being, to literally his bowels and his intestines. He's moved. Why? Because he sees the lostness of people. If you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, how affected are you by the lostness of people? We live in a dark world. We live in a world where nations are against nations, people against people, families against families. We we live in a world that needs a Savior desperately. And so Jesus is proclaiming that, and when he sees the multitudes coming, why are they coming? Some of them are coming to hear what he's got to say. but Some of them are coming just to be healed. Some of them are coming to bring people that need to be healed. But he had compassion on them. And here's what he saw. They were distressed. Literally, they were harassed. The picture is of a sheep that is worn out, laying down on some grass beside a stream. It's been fed, it's been watered, but it is harassed. It's like a dog has come up and just started barking in his ear. And one of the things that harassed the people were religious people. Paul had to write a lot of his letters to basically say, hey, listen, you've come to faith in Christ, that's enough. Don't add on all the works that the Jews are trying to get you to add on. They were harassed. They were also dispirited. Literally means they were dispersed. They were flung in every direction. So Jesus saw the lostness of people, and it moved him. And here's what he really saw. He saw sheep without a shepherd. Listen, sheep are so dependent on a shepherd. Sheep are dumb animals. You're never going to see trained sheep in the circus. They're just not real smart. I've been told you could lay a stick in front of a, a line of sheep and the first one will jump over it, two or three will jump over You can take the stick out. The next one is still going to jump. Why? Because the one in front of them jumped. They don't have sense enough to know they've eaten all the grass in this field and go to another field because they're dumb. Why are we called sheep so much in Scripture? 
It's an apt description, isn't it? So they're like sheep without a shepherd. What happens to sheep that have no shepherd? They wander aimlessly. They're lost. In fact, Jesus in John 10 speaks about himself being the good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. So the imagery of shepherding sheep is a, is a beautiful picture that you and I don't get the full extent of because how many of you raise sheep for a living? I don't see any hands. I saw one hand and I don't believe you. So the people that he sees are like sheep without a shepherd. So here's what he says. He looks out upon the people and he says, the harvest is plentiful. The fields are ripe to the harvest. The fruit is there, but the workers are few. They had labor shortages apparently in the New Testament too. Have you been to a restaurant lately that isn't asking you if you want a job? A lot of restaurants in our area have closed certain days of the week because they can't get enough people to work. The big crime is the, the uh, Krispy Kreme donut will close at like 6 o'clock in the afternoon. If you've got a craving for a donut at 8 o'clock tonight, you may have to drive to Myrtle Beach to satisfy it. Some of you are thinking, would you quit talking about food? I'm hungry. But the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So here's what he says to his followers. Beseech the Lord of the harvest. It's interesting at this point he doesn't say go to the harvest. He's going to do that in a minute. Well, not in a minute. He's going to do that at the end of the book. But at this point is to pray. And here's the point. As you pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest, you may be part of the answer to the prayer. But here's what's got to happen. You've got to have the same heart of compassion for the lostness of people that Jesus does. Some people are messy. Some people are hard to minister to. Some people are very needy. And they won't receive what you've got to offer. So you've got to pray, God, let me see people the way you do. Here's how God saw people. They are desperately needy for a Savior, and I don't have enough people to be sent out into the harvest for. In fact, let me share a passage of Scripture with you. Casey, I'm out of order. Sorry. Go back to the beginning. Here's what Jesus is ultimately going to do. You knew where I was going, didn't you? Jesus came up and spoke to them. This is the end of Christ. He's already been crucified, raised from the dead. He's about to ascend into heaven. And in a couple of places we see the Great Commission. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So that's where Jesus is heading. Right now he's telling them, you pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into the harvest field. But these very disciples that are around him, except for Judas, are going to be part of the mission and ministry of fulfilling the Great Commission. I talked about authority last week, so I ended with that passage last week. I should have started with it this week. I just didn't follow my notes. Or maybe God had a different agenda, so I was following him. But he says, go make disciples. The imperative of the passage is make disciples. So if you're a child of God, you've been given this great commission to make disciples. So let's look at how we do that and what the, what the definition and meaning of the harvest is. Pray that God would send out workers into his harvest. I want you to notice that. It doesn't say the harvest. It says his harvest. So whose harvest is it? So who's going to be the one that brings people to faith in Christ? He is. What do I do? I'm going to be faithful to obey what he's commanded me to do, and that is to go make disciples, but it's his harvest, not mine. So I don't have a gospel gun that I put a notch in every time somebody comes to faith in Christ. Why? Because it's not to my credit. I'm not the one that did it. 
How many people did you save today? None. How many people did you lead to Christ? That's a different answer. So let me read verses 24 and 25. This is the teaching that Jesus gives them in chapter 10. So we're skipping some passages, but I want you to get over to the meaning of discipleship. Jesus teaches, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough that for the disciple that he become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they have called the head of the household Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? So here's what Jesus is teaching them. He's teaching them, pray that the Lord would send workers out in the harvest field. But those of you that do become workers, just keep in mind, you're not above your master. Who's the master? Jesus is. And you're going to become more and more like him. You know what I've discovered? I've become more like the people I hang around. So if you don't want to be more like Jesus, you've got to spend time with Jesus. I wish we had a, an app. My phone, once a week I get a notice how much screen time I've had, how much time I've spent looking at my computer, my iPad, and my phone. Maybe we need an app that shows you how much time you spent with Jesus this week. Because you're going to be like the person you spend most of your time with. I love seeing students that are kind of alternative. And I'm like, you know, the reason they wear those clothes is they want to be different. Then why is it everybody you hang out with wears the same clothes? doesn't make sense to me. Here's the scary thing. You're going to be like people you hang out with. Some of you are going to become a lot like your parents. Does that scare you a little bit? I was playing with my kids years ago. They were a lot younger. Back when Steve Urkel was on television. Anybody know who Steve Urkel is? So I thought, I'll, I'll just see what they say. So I pulled my pants up real high. I walked in the room and I said, who do I look like? Without a missing a beat, they said, you look like grandmother. thought, yeah, she wore stretchy pants and she pulled them up till they couldn't pull up anymore. That wasn't the answer I was going for. But it scares me a little bit. I walk a lot like my dad. When I look in the mirror, I see his face looking back at me. You become like the person you hang out with. Where it gets even scarier is with some ladies and their pets. Why do they feel the need to dress their pets the way they're dressed? Argyle sweater, hat. You know the pet's embarrassed. If you're going to see some friends, they're going to rib him about it. Where'd you get your argyle sweater? From her. So how are we going to become more like Jesus? We're going to hang out with Jesus. We're going to spend time in his word. We're going to spend time at church. So check off the day you've been here. You're going to spend time in small group. You're going to spend time in prayer. You're going to spend time in worship. You're going to make it a point as a child of God to get to know the Jesus that you're becoming more like. In fact, it says at one point, we're going to all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's God's goal for you is that you look more and more like Jesus. And that's going to offend some people. The gospel divides. So we're not going to water it down. So you're not above your teacher. You're not above your master. In fact, it says if they call the head of the household Beelzebul, how much more are they going to malign the members of the household? Jesus had a private moment with his disciples in the upper room before he's arrested and ultimately crucified. John 15, 18, and 19. Listen to what he said to them. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Jesus didn't minimize or disguise the fact they would face persecution, they would, they would face enemies. In fact, he warned them. How many of you have been called Beelzebul? 
Probably none of you. But how many of you face religious persecution? When people make fun of you because you're a believer, when people make fun of you because you don't do some of the things you used to do before you came to faith in Christ, that's religious persecution. It's happening around the world, and it's coming to the United States. It's still not horrible here, but there's places in the world just to claim the name of Jesus. You're going to be persecuted, harassed, beaten, imprisoned, and maybe even put to death. So Jesus said, expect that. So we're praying that the Lord would send workers down in this harvest field. You're going to be some of those workers. You just need to be prepared for the fact you're not above Jesus. What he experienced on earth, you're going to experience. He experienced persecution. You're going to experience persecution. And I can tell you how to avoid persecution. Just act like the world. But I'm not encouraging you to do that. The reason you make the world uncomfortable is because the world is dark. And as a child of God, you're the light. We've already looked at that earlier in the, in the book of Matthew. So when light shines in darkness, it makes some people uncomfortable. It's like roaches in the kitchen at 3 o'clock in the morning. They're having a party that you aren't invited to, but if you turn the light on, they all... <laughs> Why? Because they don't like the light. They do their business at dark. And the same thing's true. Maybe even with some of your friends or own family or people in your neighborhood, people you work with, people you go to school with. I'm not saying to hit people in the head with a 50-pound Bible, but if you live Jesus in front of people, you're going to face ridicule and persecution. Just be ready for it. In fact, in Acts, it said the disciples considered, they rejoiced when they were persecuted for the cause of Christ. So let's look at the disciples-makers' comfort, verses 36 and, or 26 and following. Therefore, there's that word again, therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed and that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim among the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet one of them will not fall to the ground apart from your father? For the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are worth more than many sparrows. So Jesus tells them, don't be afraid. What he's just told them is they're going to be persecuted. They're going to be treated like he's treated, but he said, don't be afraid. Because ultimately it's going to be revealed. The goodness of you may not be revealed until you see Jesus one day, but at one point you're going to hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You may not hear well done on planet Earth. You may hear persecution and people making fun of you because you're following Christ. But ultimately, what's hidden will be revealed. Some of you may think, nobody sees the good in me. Jesus does. And one day, Jesus will say, well done. So he says, when I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. Again, you're the light. Take what you've learned from Christ and speak it to the world. Be a light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim from the housetops. I learned this week that one of the ways rabbis trained their students was to stand beside them in the assembly and speak and the, the training rabbi, the one being trained, would just repeat what he heard. And so Jesus is using something they were familiar with to say, listen, if I, if I whisper it in your ear, go to the housetop and proclaim it. That's the way news spread back then. They didn't have cable. They didn't have the internet. So you go up on a housetop and in a loud voice you proclaim whatever. Hey, enemies approaching or friends are approaching. Hey, we're having dinner tonight. Whatever it was, you shout it from the rooftop and people could hear it a long ways off. That's what Jesus is saying. What, what you hear from me, proclaim from the housetops. And don't be afraid of people that the worst they can do to you is kill you. 
I'm not rushing for that. I'm not warning that. I'm not asking for that. But if you depart this earth today and you're a child of God, where are you going? You're going to heaven to spend eternity with God. That's good news. And he talks about how God notices things like a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without God noticing it. And two of them are sold for a cent. You're worth much more than that. God loves you. You're worth more than many sparrows. In fact, he didn't come to die for the sparrows. He came to die for you. Then I love the next one because it hits me in the heart, or more the head. The hairs of your head are numbered. That's becoming easier for me. I read this week that the average human head has 140,000 hairs. Mine are all in the shower. I'm down to like triple digits now. Some of you have more than 140,000. Some of us have less than 140,000. But what Jesus is saying is, as intimately acquainted as God is to know how many hairs are on your head, He knows everything about you. He knows what you're going through. He knows the persecution. He knows the hardship. He also knows your faithfulness. And it does not escape His notice. So don't fear. God's got this. Don't be afraid. And then I'm going to close with just the last couple of verses. Therefore, because of what he said before this, everything leading up to this, Jesus, just two verses, verse 32 and 33, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who's in heaven. What's Jesus saying? Those of you that confess, what does the word confess mean? It means to affirm, agree with, acknowledge. The greatest example we see in the New Testament of somebody who didn't do that was Peter. When Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Jesus denied him three times. No, I'm not with him. And I doubt many of you are going to go around and say, no, I don't know Jesus, if you do. But by your silence, you're not confessing Christ. Your life is good. There's a quote attributed to St. Francis of Assisi that best knowledge is he never said it. That is, share the gospel if necessary, use words. The, the words are necessary. You've got to open your mouth and tell people the reason for the hope that is within you. It's not enough just to live a good life and think that's enough. Now, I'm not telling you you've got to beat people in the head with a 50-pound Bible. I'm not telling every time you get with somebody you've got to give them a one-hour lecture. But be ready to give a, the reason for the hope that's within you. Be ready to tell people the good news. And you say, I don't, I, I don't know the whole Bible. Well, I don't either. I've been studying it for a long time, but you can at least tell them, all I know is I once was lost, but now I'm found. Let me tell you what happened to me. And Jesus says, if you'll do that, I'll confess you before the Father. Isn't that good news? That means that Jesus, one day, you're going to face Jesus, whether it's at his return or before that. You're going to face Jesus in heaven, and he's going to look at the Father and say, this one's mine. Isn't that awesome? Jesus doesn't just pick the perfect people of the world. He, he picks people who need a Savior, and he forgives them. He shows them mercy and grace. And when we face him one day in heaven, he's going to look at the Father and say, this one's mine. So let me close with just some application thoughts. Answer the call. If you're going to be a disciple maker, first of all, answer the call. Isaiah, in chapter 6 of Isaiah, sees the Lord high and lifted up. He sees the smoke filling the temple and it overwhelmed him. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. 
And then God says, who shall we send and who will go for us? Here's what Isaiah says. Just confessing his unworthiness, he says, I'll go, send me. Are you willing to do that? If you're a child of God, you're already a disciple maker. Just fulfill the role of disciple maker. Number two, go. Literally the word in Matthew 18 or Matthew 28, verse 18, 19, and 20 is as you go. Listen, you're already going. You're going to school. You're going home. You're going to your neighborhood. You're going to work. You're hanging out with friends. You're already going. As you go, make disciples. Discipleship starts before conversion. Paul had been disciple when his name was Saul because he knew about God. And so when he meets him on the road to Damascus, he was already heads and shoulders above somebody who had never known him. So wherever God places you, go. And then finally, make disciples. Let other people follow you as you follow Jesus. This one's mine. This one's mine. Hear the words of Jesus someday confessing you before the Father. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me.